Welcome back to The Deacon's Den. If there is one episode of our podcast which might lead me to question my judgment, perhaps today will be the day. At the end of our last episode, I decided that it might be interesting to invite some deacon kids, that is, children of deacons, to visit the den and talk about their experiences as progeny of diaconal dads. So, depending on how interesting today's conversation becomes will likely determine whether my judgment should be called into question. So I turn to the co-owner of the Deacon's Den, Deacon Joe Gassman, to get his honest opinion. Deacon Joe, have I lost my mind? Well, at first I thought, maybe not, because I was thinking children. (laughs) (laughs) I was not thinking these three. So now I'm in question. No, uh, yeah, and I may have lost my mind a long time before this, but I, I, I think I know their fathers. <laughs> and we're off. Okay. No, all kidding aside, I'm excited about this episode as we have invited three young women to join us in the den, all who are the daughters of current deacons in the diocese of Orlando, and we will be inviting them to share their thoughts and experiences on their personal journey as their dads were formed and now serve as permanent deacons. So let's start by introducing our guests who will help us serve up today's tasty treats of the Deacon's Den. And I'll begin by asking the lady to my left to introduce herself. And I just noticed you look back and forth like, am I to your left or right? Um, (laughs) We didn't have to go very far to find her as she is a regular in the den, although for the most part, a silent partner in this enterprise. So, Catherine, please introduce yourself to our listening guests with your name, where you were born, and any other quick fact you'd be happy to share about yourself with our listeners. And then also tell us your deacon dad's name and what year he was ordained. So, my name is Catherine Laguna. I am the Director of Communications at the Diocese. I was born in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. My dad was in the military at the time, so I lived there for a few years before He really fell in love with Florida. And my dad's name is Pablo Laguna. He serves at St. Catherine of Siena in Kissimmee. Awesome. And he was ordained when? In 2015. 2015. So still a relative newbie, but he's got some some, uh, wear on the tires at this point. Exactly. All right. Now I'm going to turn to my right. Doris, you're up. Well, my name is Doris Quinones. I'm a stewardship director at the Catholic Foundation of Central Florida, and I've been serving here for more than 13 years. I was born in El Hospital del Maestro and uh, born and raised in Rio Piedras, Puerto Rico on leap year. That's when I was hmm. born. Something unusual, I guess. <laughs> lived in so are you? Are, so are you? Exactly. A, are you a leap day baby? Yes. It's February 29th. Yes. I was born around five or six a.m. as my father told us the other day. Okay, so that means you're <laughs> On only that actual day. Well, he just finally told you. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was like, "Hey, wow. it took a while, but you were born." That's, <laughs> that's cool. That means you're only one quarter the age of the years that you've lived. Yes, That's why I'm 11 so years old. You're 11. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we do have we a do child. We do have a child. Good job, Yeah, girl. see? There you go. Is that okay? Very Deacon cool. Joe. Um, um, instead of moving to New York like most of us Puerto Ricans did, um, <laughs> we lived in Southern California for a while. And um, my father is Deacon Juan Cruz. Um, he was ordained in 2009, but he was very, very, very actively involved with the youth, the Hispanic youth. Um, since I want to say I was 15 years old, 
um, which is a very long time ago, exactly 30 years ago, I guess. <laughs> um, and I've been married for 17 years. Uh, and we have a strong, young 17-year-old man who just turned 17 today, William, and was confirmed two days ago. Oh, cool. um, so that's really exciting. And then I have a sweet six-year-old daughter who thinks she's 16, mm. um, Arelis, and, um, and that's about it. Okay. Well, welcome to the Doris Quinones show. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Thanks, Doris. I, yeah. lo- I loved it. You have I a 17 year old, but you look 30. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, 11. Yeah. There, there, 11. You go, there you go. Yeah. I'm a child. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our show for today. Um, so we, we have we have one more uh, Deacon kid uh, to bring in. And uh, so finally, I want to ask Danny to introduce herself, who is uh, calling in from an undisclosed remote location. <laughs> undisclosed would be somewhere in the nation's capital. Uh, good morning. I'm Danny Kamuth. I'm a product manager in tech up in the Washington, D.C. area. I suppose that I am the inheritor of Deacon Den, seeing as my dad is Deacon Dave. You were confirmed. We just talked about this in 2000. Four days, not confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> that was an even longer ago. <laughs> but you're right, 2002. Strike, reverse, four days in 2002. I guess my other fun fact is this morning my husband asked when there was going to be the podcast for those that have married the deacon's kids and married into ooh, the family. So ooh. he's he's already made himself available because <laughs> more than anyone else I know. That could be <laughs> interesting. Oh, yeah. 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 Huh? Yes, Ma- it yeah. Ma- Married into the deacon family. I just want to know, how did you guys make that happen? Because I'm still single. Oh. <laughs> you may have a different calling. <laughs> I, I, I love the fact that Danny immediately went to the will, though, right? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Says, I, I inherit the deacon's den. She's always, she's always wanted to run a bar, so I guess that's it. So. <laughs> All right. I'm so reuse the name. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be Danny's den instead of the deacon's den. Go. Got it. Go. Yeah, exactly. All right. So we're going to jump in now to the topic at hand today. and um, Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Exactly. <laughs> so, ladies, I'm going to have... Uh, going to ask you to travel back in time to the best of your ability and let me make it clear to Catherine: there's no wave rider or tardis available today to travel back in time <laughs> a little nerd references for you yes uh, so i'm going to ask you to travel back each of you in the privacy of your own mind thinking back to when your dad first entered diaconal formation how old were you when this formation began do you recall any initial reactions when he began this journey and what do you remember about the time and formation itself Doris, let me start with you. Oh, wow. Thank you. I'm glad I wrote this down. Um, I think he may have started his formation in 2004 because mm-hmm. it takes about five years that I recall in formation, correct? I think your dad started a little sooner because yeah. he stepped away for a little while. Yes. Yes. And I don't know why he stepped away. So yeah. maybe you can help us. Well, I mean, we have certain situations that sometimes come up in the family. And he felt that it was more important to be part of that. And so that's why he had a step down as well. Um, he was very involved in the youth since early on, like I was saying, um, when I was 15. So 
this was something that was a calling to my dad because before he was married, he actually wanted to become a priest. Mm-hmm. And he was involved in the youth, um, not the youth, but young adults then and playing guitar and stuff like that in Puerto Rico. But then he met mom. So, um, made it a little harder exactly. to become a priest. Yeah. <laughs> Just a discernment. Bit. He put yeah. a discernment a thing in front of him. So, um, during 2004, that was a hard time. You know, we, I actually got married during that time as well. Hmm. Um, and later on, uh, William was born also. So, um, it was a good time. My mom was very involved in the activities that he had to be part of. She would let us know what would happen, you know, and stuff like that. So, she had like support at home to talk through um, everything that they went through. And she was very excited about it. Um, She was very proud and she loves my dad very much. So I could tell that, you know, all the stuff that they had to do and the sacrifices, she was gung-ho about it because of the mere fact that, you know, this was the right thing for him. And this was a calling that he always had. So what was your reaction? Uh, I'm glad you're- My reaction, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. My reaction was like, oh my gosh. When are we going to see dad now? (laughs) And the only reason why I say that is because I've come to learn that deacons have a lot of work in front of them. And, you know, I, I feel that my dad has this calling because he's the kind of person that he's very boisterous about doing what's right at the church and, and being there for people, not just about the church, but just doing what's right. Mm -hmm. So, um, we felt that this was the right thing for him, that this was part of his calling a long time ago, that maybe he was supposed to be a priest, maybe not, but I think God had another plan for him. And I think um, this was, we all felt that it was just, okay, yeah, this makes sense. So so you were pretty much an adult when he entered in. Mm -hmm. All of us were, all three of us, yeah. Given the fact that she just got married, I'm glad you were yeah. an adult at the time. <laughs> I was just making yeah. Maybe that was the reason why he was out. No, no, no. Okay, let's not go no, too far down I that know, road. No, 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 no. I'm, no, I'm, no. I'm going okay. to uh, turn to my left now <laughs> to <laughs> Ka- Katerina, queen of the podcast. Yes. Um, so, Catherine, uh, again for you, um, initial reactions, how old were you? And uh, So I was about 23 when he started formation, mm-hmm. but he always had this calling, I would think starting in the eighth grade for me. And I remember them trying the classes in the beginning, just, you know, like introductory classes. Like if you feel his calling, come to this class, get a little tutorial about it. It's almost like the ones that you guys have been doing throughout the month, right? And so that was during high school. I think he just always felt that he would have to split his time and he feel guilty about that. So then he waited. So then 23, when he, fir- when he finally joined in, and then this is during the time where their formation process was the five years. My reaction at the time, I already knew that this was meant to be. Like, I could see it. I mean, dad was in Catecimo. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna do some bilingual stuff okay. here because some of my words are not in English. Okay, okay. <laughs> and he was a sacristan and he mentored a lot of the altar servers. You know, a lot of our, my dad was during this time where it was my brother, Father Blake, Father Cardona. Like, these were the men that he was like on his journey through formation process. You know, these are like his legacies in a way. So he was always in church. So for us, it wasn't even a big deal in a way because we already lived in church. It wasn't just him. We all lived at church. So then we were always attending multiple masses and it was not a shocker to us that he wanted to become a deacon. We just knew that there would be 
a little bit more sacrifices involved. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting kind of putting it in context that uh, Blake and Cardona became priests. Exactly. I know. <laughs> and I think that's something that we can talk a little bit later about the pressure of it, right? Right. Because how did dad become a deacon, they became a priest, and then maybe my brother, that just wasn't his calling. But the pressure of the community saying, but why not, yeah, why yeah, not Lawrence, yeah. right? That's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. definitely where we're going to, we're going to get to today, yes. because I think that's, you mm-hmm. bring it up a very important point. Um, but staying on this initial uh, question, then I'm going to reach out to Danny now. Now, Danny, you were a lot younger than uh, your compatriots here in this podcast. Um, so we'll see what the fog of memory allows you to recall at the moment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you could talk about, you know, when I first uh, entered formation, what do you remember as, as a young child? I don't know that I was the youngest, being as Doris is a leap year baby. So I think <laughs> Thank you, I might I love it. Right, have not been the youngest, but it was so early on in my life. We were living in Florida at the time. We had just moved from Colorado to Florida for, we'd been there for maybe six months. And I don't remember a ton. I was in the first grade. I don't know, we went to Disney all the time. Like, those are the things that matter to a first grader. And I do remember sort of a series of events just really quickly. Of, um, I remember Grandpa dying. I remember that not long after, you and Mom just started having these very serious conversations. And I thought it was just you wanted to go back to Colorado. Like, Florida was too far from family in California. And so when I think you told us that this was this was what you wanted to do when we were going to move back, you know, to a first grader, great, sounds good. Don't have a lot of other thoughts about what that means. And I don't think I really understood. But we were just going back to where I had friends, to the church that we grew up in. It, it didn't really resonate sort of the gravity of what you were really taking on as a vocation, but I think what was going to end up really changing how our family sort of approached church and responsibilities and, and other things as, as I grew up. So I don't know that I thought good or bad about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I probably had enough conscious thought to be like, this is a path that someone chooses, that this is a thing. It was just, well, my dad did. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of, a, I really think, my approach at such a young age to formation. There were all of these, you were taking classes. There were all of these new friends that you had. Some of them had kids my age or a little bit older. We'd go to big events. All of those things just seemed normal. And in the context of being that young and not really understanding uh, maybe some of those pieces, just felt like another community at the time and so i think that was probably my just general understanding like oh not everyone's dad does this no No, they don't You know, one, one, of the, one of the thoughts as you were talking that I do remember is that we had formation classes every Monday night. And I remember Tuesday morning breakfast before you go to school because you were always the one who was like, okay, what did you learn? And <laughs> and then I think you made your religion and theology teachers, uh, you tormented them for the next several oh, years. every single one of them. High school was the worst. <laughs> it was. My theology teachers hated when I started theology class because I I had so many thoughts. I had a perspective, and frankly, I had a lot of 
experience and sort of deacon uncles that I could ask as well to confirm what I thought. Uh, and the sacred text or, you know, the teaching and the doctrine that that was grounded in. So it definitely made me more of a trouble child in <laughs> the most ironic places. Yeah, exactly. So to keep this moving forward now, of course, ordination day is is a big day, hopefully a memorable day for all deacons and their families. So, Catherine, do you recall your dad's ordination day? Any, you know, single memory or two that really sticks out to you about that day, how you felt, what you experienced? I think the coolest thing for our ordination day was my dad's group. There was 12 of them. They call them the 12 apostles. And no matter what faith you were in in my family, everybody wanted to come. My mom's family came from Puerto Rico. I mean, there's like eight sisters, brothers on the her side. So then they all came to witness my dad's ordination. So we had a huge group and I think we were in the third row. So it was just like center focus. You could see everything happening in real time. And I'm the emotional one in the family. And everybody else isn't. My mom isn't, my dad isn't, my brother isn't. I mean, I'm the crier. There was this particular moment after ordination where there's a photo of it. My dad's, you know, he's already fully dressed and everything and he's just hugging my brother and they're both crying. And it's just this release of excitement, of anticipation. The process, you know, could be a little bit stressful at times. Like you want to make sure you're getting good grades, getting your papers in, having the support of the people that are carrying you through the process. So then I think this is just the moment where we were all like, wow, we made it. This is what we were working towards. And then the love that my dad has for serving the community, it's just St. Catherine of Siena showed up that day. It was one of those moments that I look back and it still makes me cry a little bit because it's just a moment that it's filled with so much joy and everybody's just in this celebratory mood. It was a gorgeous day. The weather was perfect, by the way, because, you know, those photos are important. <laughs> Spoken as a good director of communications. Um, no, I, I have to clarify for all listeners, when she said St. Catherine of Siena showed up that day, she is not talking about an apparition of a saint. <laughs> That is, the, sure. that is the parish, know, right? the parish from which they do dress up at St. Catherine's Siena, and a lot of them <laughs> are. <laughs> so, so, Danny, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching north to you now on this one. What, what do you remember of Ordination Day? I've looked at the pictures recently, so I have fresher memories perhaps, but what do you recall? I actually dug out some of the pictures this morning, which I guess I have less than I thought I did. But I, I remember serving. I was an altar server at your ordination. Mm -hmm. So I was involved in the ordination. And the other thing that I didn't remember until I looked at the pictures was your ordination happened at the church that we grew up at. You were ordained Mm -hmm. at St. Francis of the Mm -hmm. CC. And so for us, it was, I think it's very similar to Catherine of the community was there because you were ordained in our community. And so I do just remember it feeling very homey. It was familiar, but special, sort of all of those emotions that, you know, you feel comfortable, but you're very excited. All of those were really at play at the time. Um, and it was, it was just you and Deke and Andy that day. That's right. And uh, <laughs> the two that survived as opposed to the 12 <laughs> apostles. Yeah. Right. But there was such a bond and I think a closeness uh, by the time it was really got to ordination day. So I do remember all of that. It was really exciting. I always remember, so I love the sung prayers of intercession. 
And I think it goes back to your ordination. Like, I just thought it was so cool. The, the, lit, the litany of the saints, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Sort of all of that song. So that's something that sticks with me. Um, and I just, I always enjoy hearing it, whatever I do. Or at other ordinations, um, because you'll hear saints that are maybe not as common, but mean something to, you know, the men that are being ordained there. So it's really what I remember. Again, still very young, but I was so involved. But it is funny. I was, like, thinking about the walkthroughs that we did. Like, I was there sort of for all of it leading up to and through ordination. Wow. That's special. That's yeah. awesome. That is special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The story behind why we were ordained at St. Francis was the cathedral was under renovation at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, so they kicked it out uh, uh, to St. Francis. And it was. I I liked your comment about it. It felt so homey. And it was. That church was mm-hmm. packed. And 500 oh, people yeah. were from my parish. Wow. Um, so it That's was awesome. it was very cool. And it was connected to next door where a lot of the the older sisters right. came over and they sort of sat in the like bridge. I mean, the church is packed. That bridge between the church and their community. Yeah. Um, so it was just really special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Oh, good memories. Wow. Doris, top that. Oh my goodness. Well, I want to say that um, dads took place in the Basilica as well because St. James was going through renovations. Because, yeah. So I know that happened. We also had family come from Puerto Rico. My grandmothers um, both came and my aunt as well uh, to be part of that special day. My dad's cousins were um, were here also. They already lived in Orlando, but they were um, present on that day um, at the Basilica. And also he had friends from the parish, you know, parish family that we grew up with, you know, at St. Mary Mag, Magdalene Catholic Church. And so, <laughs> shout out, you, she, shout out. She, she shorthands it and then goes, oh no, I can't sound disrespectful. I'm yes. here. Magdalene Catholic Church. And, and we had a lot of friends from there as well, like from the choir, from the youth, from the off the chancery as well, because he knew some of the people that worked here at that time as well. So it was really nice to feel like um, Danny was saying that community, that heartfelt community all there with us celebrating. Celebrating. And of course, when we went home, my mom had already catered and had some stuff at home. But then on the weekend, I think it's after the Saturday, it was on a Saturday night after the 7 p.m. Spanish Mass. Then um, Father Charlie, all the priests, and the whole entire community was invited after Mass to the parish hall, the um, parish life center. And they had a huge cake and they had prepared round tables for everybody to sit together and just celebrate that. Which was really great because, you know, it felt good knowing that they were appreciating all the hard labor, all the service that my dad and our family um, and sacrifices that we had gone through um, for this special occasion. One of the reasons I really wanted to focus on ordination is now I'm going to get into the heart of, of what this means, right? Those are those are like the wedding days in a marriage, right? Mm-hmm. An ordination, mm-hmm. it's all a celebration. It's everything is perfect and everyone looks beautiful. The guys look great in their dresses, just like a bride. Slight tongue-in-cheek comment there, but... Oh, he's getting trouble when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> or gowns, no one's if you want to throw in a gown. <laughs> Hey, the youth in my parish used to call me dress boy as soon as I started putting on an owl. It was, it was a beautiful thing. I told him oh, after I got wow. ordained, I was accessorizing. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the impact. You know, just like a wedding day 
uh, is the precursor to a lived marriage of highs and lows. We want to talk about, we want to understand and get your take on, we know the expectations of the man are going to change. The reality is, and Catherine, you referenced this already, is that expectations of the family can change too, of the wife, of the kids, fairly or unfairly. So what changes in expectations of your family did you observe or experience personally? And some hopefully are positive and some may be a little more challenging. We could go on for a long time on this. So maybe if I can ask you to just highlight the top, you know, one or two that come to your mind. Dana, I'm going to start with you. Oh, man. I think it's a maybe a little bit of a loaded question. I was I started high school while you were serving and at the time, we had moved from St. Francis of Assisi, which is where we had grown up. It was the parish that we moved to when we came from California. It was the parish that you were at when you were ordained. It was the parish you were ordained in. And you were assigned to Our Lady of the Pines, which was all the way across town, which in Colorado Springs at the time was not a big town. But when you went from living five minutes down the road from church to 25 minutes away, that was a big deal. And I also just, I started high school. I was in middle school. I was in high school. And so all of those challenging pieces of being in middle school and high school, I think that amplified. Um, and one of the things I know Catherine was talking about earlier, sort of that community pressure and expectations. And I I really felt in both senses there was there was almost a belief that there was access to us as a family, not just to you as a deacon, but to us as a family. And so, you know, it's hard enough to be a middle school girl. I think probably even harder maybe to be a high school girl. But sort of just the belief that everyone could want to have an opinion. Everyone could just come up and talk to me and ask me questions and while I have a very big personality, I'm very introverted around folks I didn't know. And so I think that was just a hard piece to try to overcome. Like I was trying to figure out who I was and who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And uh, at times it felt like everyone had an opinion on that who wasn't me. And so it was just a very different dynamic to grow up in. Um, and to really think about it. I don't think it's unique. I think it probably is the same as folks that their parents or the principal or the superintendent or their parents run for, like, local office or politicians. But the expectation that what I do was also up for debate and up for discussion or what I thought or where I wanted to go or what I wore was sort of part of that was challenging. And in some ways, there were folks that were incredibly supportive and there was access to a really large community. At other times, it could feel challenging when folks that you don't know or don't know really well have an opinion about you and aren't always the best at keeping that quiet. So it was something that I think probably made me better at and stronger of sort of ignoring the noise and, and really trying to be confident in who I was, but it was no longer, there wasn't as much of a separation between you as a deacon and you as a dad at times. It felt like in the eyes of the community, like those could be one and the same. And so if you're accessible to them as their deacon, then so should your family. Hmm. 
that's incredibly profound, and I appreciate your sharing that. I mean, you and I both know specific instances, both good and bad, um, yeah. that really were difficult to, to walk through. But I, And I think that's very important for children of, of deacons or men in formation to know. Um, the flip side, to end this on a slightly less somber, it's a beautiful thing, but I do remember you commenting that when you started dating in high school, you could not go anywhere oh. in Colorado Springs without a deacon or a priest showing up and being there, and you had all of these uncles looking over your shoulder. <laughs> right. Plus for well, dead. And, <laughs> it was so funny in both directions. So I could never go anywhere without running into someone when I was dating, which sad for sure love. On the flip side, I remember that there were guys that I liked who their parents loved the idea of them dating me because I was the deacon's kid and like, mm -hmm. great. She is going to be straight laced and at church and like all of these things. And then there were the parents of guys that I liked who didn't want them within a hundred feet of me because they all seen seventh heaven, right? Like everyone had these preconceived notions and it was like, I'm the same person. Mm -hmm. But that sort of dichotomy for good or bad was interesting. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Doris. Well, like Danny said, there were some community expectations that you kind of understood since we were older. We understood that. Um, and the great thing about it, since my dad was involved in the youth and young adult groups and, and so on and so forth. So not only um, did um, he do the duties that he had to do at church, but he would be called by these um, youth, young adults that are now older for them to do their weddings or baptisms and to him that was very it was like a no-brainer like yes i'm gonna be there for you so we understood that and that was okay but he also made that room to be at certain birthdays and certain activities that we needed to be at because he also knew that was important now also what came about was that he was the only hispanic deacon at that parish so a lot of people would flock to him for help so that phone was ringing all the time <laughs> and i said dad just give them your cell phone number not the house number <laughs> no they would still find that house number somehow so those phone calls came in and my mom almost felt like she was the secretary writing down all these messages and it was fine though um the good thing about it since he was really busy my mom was busy too i was married so i had a five-year-old at that time so we made time to be with her so she didn't feel oh you know left out or anything like that and my brother had moved in and his children as well so my mom was pretty busy and we just made sure that we spent as much time as we could with her as dad would as well so and and we saw some changes in her as well that made us um, health wise to be more attentive and help in that situation. The funny thing is that now, since a lot of people knew him and he's been, you know, a deacon for a long time, that when I now visit priests or deacons and I talk to them and they're like, oh, you look familiar. I'm like, well, no, I'm not Debbie, but I'm Juan Cruz's, I'm Deacon Juan Oh, I know Juan. And I feel like, really? Um, <laughs> Who does, who does it? I, yeah, yeah, so when, 
when I go, I'm like, oh, this is a great connection. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, dad, you just let you know. So-and-so said hi. So you better call him. This is his number. It's pretty neat. Um, and cool to know what other people's perception are of my dad because they'll clearly say good things and everything like that. I'm like, I don't know about all that. But no. Um, he was pretty I know the real yeah, exactly. one. The real one. Actually, my mom would probably even know more of the real but anyways. <laughs> so I don't know if we're going to cover this today, yeah. but I want to I throw a shout out to your mom. How is she doing? She's doing okay. She's doing okay. We're always there trying to, my dad's every day there, um, just to make sure that she's, she's good, that she's well treated and protected. So he's he's put things in proper perspective. Oh, and her, he's really good with that. Yes. <laughs> And my grandmother too. There's there's so many there's so many deacons that kind of get lost in the ministry. Yeah. And then when crisis hits the family, mm-hmm. they're not well, there. And and he did retire early so he can take care of her at home. When it came to the time, uh, my mom suffers dementia, and so and she got it early on due to a situation that happened where she worked at. So that escalated her dementia, and she's in a home now. Because it's gotten to the point where my dad, you know, she she can't move. She's bedridden and she can't talk. She can't feed herself, bathe, anything like that. So that's the only reason why she's in there. But because if not, my dad would still have her at home. During that time, he also had my grandmother. And now she's in a um, retirement home as well at 94 years old. So you can imagine. And she's, she sometimes would be like, why am I doing here? And she's like, give me some money. And I'm like, dad's like, you don't need to give cash to anybody because she's accustomed to in our sure, custom. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. they would give a dollar to your grandchild mm-hmm. or whatever. So mm-hmm. as people are doing nice things, for her, she thinks that she needs to give them money for that. And it's like they're already getting paid for that. You don't need to do that. So, so even though she doesn't have the singles to give out, she'll be like, "Oh, let me give you my slippers or my lotion or something like that." And the nurses will come back and be like, "Oh, your 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 mother gave me that as a gift." So, so, so I, I really you yeah, do sorry. underscore though. No, I underscore what uh, what Deacon Joe said though. It's yeah. like you're. Your dad, uh, you know, Deacon Juan really gets what his first vocation is. And it's, you know, so a deacon can live both vocations effectively because he still serves the community well, but he, he, he yes. puts your mom first and your family first. I'm going to kick it over Amen. to Catherine here. I'm, uh, you know, we're running a little long. This is Sorry. such a good episode. No, no, no. Don't apologize. Uh, <laughs> all I'm going to do is I'm going to compress the last two questions together. So let Catherine, uh, your answer on expectations and how those changed. And So I already, and I, I think I placed pressure on myself, though, like the community and myself. So then it was never like my dad's pressure. It was never my parents, anything like that. But I mean, people already expect expected you to be perfect before ordination. Imagine after the fact, you know? I mean, a lot of people always thought, oh, your dad's serving at the 12 o'clock mass. Aren't you coming? Couldn't you be an ultra server, be in the choir, be the... uh, I didn't know it was a triplet. Good point. Good point. (laughs) So then there was always that expectation that if dad was going to be somewhere, they just thought that I was going to be there too. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I'm like, I have my own ministry. Like, I was in the choir for a little while. I made the transition to be a minister of Holy Communion, but that was my decision you know but when I left the choir everybody was upset and I'm like I could do I could do one ministry and it's okay you know there was mm-hmm. always this expectation that I had to do more than one and I always had to live in church and trust me we lived and camped at church mm-hmm. <laughs> so then what else did you want right <laughs> wow. 
so then, but I, I loved, I loved being the role model uh, for, for my group, my mm-hmm. peers. I, I still love that. Even though the pressure was there, I love making sure people had their classes, you know, getting the confirmations done. I know a lot of people when I was in high school and college, they still didn't do their confirmations, you know? So I was like, hey, come over, like, let's have a chat with dad and see how, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And that's a lot of what dad did was just sit there, listen to people, see where they were at, see how he can minister to them without feeling the pressure of it. Because I think a lot of times people assume like coming up and having a conversation with you, Deacon Dave or Deacon Joe, and feeling maybe the pressure or the intensity of like, well, if I say something wrong, they're going to think that I'm unfit, you know? And that's not the case. I'm sure you guys, you know, kick it back and have a beer and are just very cool people. (laughs) (laughs) No comments, Danny. Oh, that wasn't the time for allegedly cool. Oh. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, my dad loves doing so many different things that are all obviously with the church. But I mean, like he loves going out, riding his motorcycle around town and awesome. taking really nice trips to Tennessee and doing the road trips like that on his motorcycle group. And he has so many Baptist friends, too. So it's like there's always this community involved as well. But I think for for both of us, for me and for Lawrence, my expectation is always when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? Like, you are a deacon's child. Like, where's your spouse? Like, I'm like, I don't know how that made sense to people, but apparently it did. (laughs) So it was always that question when I would go to church. And if they haven't seen me in a while, they're just like, but where's the husband? And I'm like, well, wait, we need a boyfriend first. (laughs) And then for my brother was always, and this was constant, constant. And even in public places, in front of large crowds, everybody would always ask him, like, when are you going to start your priesthood? Or when are you going to go into a formation to become a priest? And, you know, he discerned that for a little while in the beginning, like 13, 12, they take that little trip to Miami to visit the seminary just to check it out. It's the same thing that Father Blake and Father Edwin Cardona did. So I guess it was always that pressure of when he came back and the guy said yes, and Lawrence didn't, or he was still thinking and he doesn't know, like, I'm 13, I don't know what I want yet, you know? So the community is always and then with love I think they do it with love but they just don't understand that it might be just too much my favorite thing is going to Publix now and people point at you like Deacon Pablo and I'm like I'm Catherine (laughs) (laughs) I'm Catherine and I just want my tostones and let's go (laughs) didn't know I inherited Deacon Pablo as a name but uh, I do have my own name Uh, See, I told you it was a personality. It was not the children. It's, it's, yeah, guilt by association, though, as well. So I'm going to compress the last two questions together, mostly because Doris has a meeting to get to. I. I, Um, You know, each of your dads has been ordained a very different amount of time. Um, Catherine, six years, Doris, 12, Danny, almost 20 years now. And time generally provides a new perspective. So I'm going to ask you to use that perspective in terms of if you had a chance to talk with families, uh, children, wives, the men themselves, of men who are either considering a vocation, men in formation, or those already ordained, what would you tell them? What's the one thing that you would want to tell those families uh, as they consider uh, or are part of a diaconal vocation? And I'm going to make this a toss-up question. So who who wants to tackle it first? 
Well, I feel that I will. Yeah. <laughs> if you She's like really looking to, at the clock for that meeting. Well, I feel the number one thing, and it's going back to what Catherine was saying, is like, be yourselves because you are also part of that. You're also part of that decision. You know, there's a reason uh, why your parents decided to do it or because it's it's a couple. It's not just the man making that decision for to become a deacon, because as we all know, the, the wife also has to attend a lot of these um, meetings and um, preparations as well. You know, they did it for a reason and you were part of that decision as well. So know and be feel confident that it's okay to be yourself. You know, the love that you have for each other is going to make this even stronger and a better relationship. And it's going to be what's going to make it better for all of you. That's all. All right, Catherine or Danny, who's who's going next? So I think I would actually take it into the perspective of support because you really need to find your support group. You really need to find your tribe. There's going to be people out there that they think it's a great idea, but they're not really going to support you in the way that you think they will. It might actually surprise you who will stick up for you and who will support you. So as long as you have your inner people involved, the entire family was so involved with this. I'm, I'm telling you, like, mom went to every single class you can think of. She mm-hmm. never missed a beat. On the weekends, they would actually read books together. And they go, like, we're on chapter five. Like, let's take a look. And then afterwards, I want the book because I want to read, too, you know, <laughs> so I can learn and form myself in that way. But there's going to be moments where you, you know, you might want to talk to your priest about these things. You might not feel like the support is there. But at the end of the day, as long as these guys support you and I'm pointing to Deacon Joe and Deacon Dave then it'll take you a long way well Danny you get the last word I know you like that oh, my <laughs> favorite this is my, my prep closing argument um, I, I think there's there's probably a couple of things the first is and I really loved what Catherine mentioned of like there was self pressure there was internal pressure to do things and I think as a kid like you want to make your parents proud too you want to make your dad proud you want to be engaged i think in both directions just encouraging that open conversation right of things are going to change and i think for me i was so much younger that i didn't always understand and just taking the time to say hey this is changing or i'm feeling this way or like hey i don't want to go to this event this weekend or i do want to go to this event this weekend and just being able to be honest Mm-hmm. I think in all directions is really helpful. And the best thing that would ever happen is like, dad was a deacon, but when he came to church or to school and he was a line judge at my volleyball matches, like dad was my dad mm-hmm. first and foremost. And I think that being able to have both of those roles and to really setting priorities around that, I think often at times was really helpful to a lot of my friends who were struggling with, do they want to be Catholic? Like, do they have someone that they can talk to? And so being comfortable with that, like removing the pressure and just really saying, I get he may see him as a deacon, but he's also my dad. And the mm-hmm. same way that, like, we talk to our friends, parents about things when we're over at somebody's house, they're having dinner, reinforcing that as well. Like, still your dad, I think can be a really powerful moment. It's really that openness and that willingness to just have the conversations, to be honest about who you are and where you are, and the journey is important. And if you remove the pressure from yourself to be perfect, then it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. It makes it fun. 
So even though that was your prepared closing argument, I saw Catherine waving at me. Catherine, something that Danny said just <laughs> yeah, triggered. Only because I think that we were talking about how faithful all of our dads are and stuff like that. But I think it'd be really cool to mention something very fun and just chill about our own dads that has nothing to do with religion that has nothing to do with our faith or something like that so obviously since i just brought it up i'll bring it up first so then i was thinking how (laughs) i was just thinking about something really cool about my dad but um our favorite thing to do on the weekends is to barbecue so i call my dad the grill master and he makes the best ribs on the planet so then our favorite thing to do is always like invite people over we have a pool and like we like to build community in that way and I think it's just so much fun because apart from all the things that dad does with the church and all that, but he still has like his cool hobbies, you know, going on motorcycle rides. He's a great cook. He's just so much fun. He likes to go to the movie. So I just like to mention those things because that's also part of the man that you all mm-hmm. see in your own communities that's so faithful. But maybe some of us might not see them outside of the church. So you always think that you just see this perfect man, but you don't see like the fun side of it, you know? So how about you, Doris? Well, my dad is pretty cool too. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's cooler than your dad. <laughs> <laughs> he used to be a lifeguard in Puerto Rico a long time ago, so now he's um, taking up swimming again. He is an open water scuba diver. He hasn't been able to do that for many years, but we're, if God permitting, we're going to Puerto Rico next week. That's one of the things he wants to do. Not so much scuba diving, because we're like, Dad, come on now. <laughs> but um, snorkeling. So we're, we're, we're trying to do that. And, you know, when you're a grandparent, I guess you're totally different with your grandchildren because he is totally different with my with my son with my daughter his little princess because she's the only girl in the family for the cruises so um it's all boys it was totally the opposite for him so he has um one two three four five five boys five grandchildren that are males and one <laughs> grandchild that's a female. So that's his little princess. So when I go up to mass now and uh, we'll see him after mass or whatever the case may see, oh, how's my favorite person? So I'm thinking, oh, he's going to kiss me. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's going towards my daughter. And I'm like, oh, great. I, <laughs> I love you too, dad. <laughs> He's very sarcastic also. That is something that not many people know. He likes mm-hmm. to play jokes and be sarcastic. So, And he's a Star Wars fan. Yes. So, And Indiana Jones, sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know that I'm going to, like, join the, like, my dad is cooler than you are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was just waiting for that, Daddy. Oh, I was man. so waiting for that. Oh, and I thought this gosh. was a good segment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> what? I, mean, I mean, I spun in. I thought we were being honest. We were saying from the heart. Um, <laughs> Dad and I have always loved traveling together. So that's mm-hmm. like one of the big things that we love doing. We've taken trips where, you know, the theme for restaurants is how many divers, drive-ins, and dives can we hit yeah. um, as yes. part of this trip. Ooh. So we both like, love to try new food we love to travel together and i mean we both love like a really good glass of wine mm-hmm. a creative cocktail so it nice. has been fine especially as i've gotten older to be able to travel and to experience a lot of those things i don't think it's a surprise to anyone that he's sarcastic but like <laughs> you know dork like your dad yeah you know, such a nerd <laughs> 
you know, a huge Disney fan. When I the first time my parents met my husband, we flew down to Florida to go to Disney's Food and Wine, and my husband was like, "I don't get it. You guys go to Disney every year? Like, are there kids coming with us? Like, what's the deal?" And I was like, "No, it'll be fun. You'll, like, you'll understand when you're there." Um, and we had the best time. So, you know, cool. my parents are always at Disney if they get a, a free mm-hmm. minute. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> We know. Yes, we do. (laughs) That's a big amen from the Disney crowd. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, as I sit here and listening to this, you know, I think three deacons, three daughters, three different experiences. And I think that underscores the uniqueness of, of each of our individual journeys, that the general call to the diaconate may be similar, but each of our lived experiences of vocational call formation, live ministry, they're always unique as the individual, the family, and the community from which we're called forth. So, Deacon Joe, to kind of pull this all together, any pearls of wisdom you wish to share to help us to tie it together? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good luck with that, Joe. <laughs> you know, I, I think it, the beautiful thing as I'm sitting here and what's going through my heart right now is that for us, as we go through and we look for the men that are looking to become deacons. You know, what I heard Catherine say is that Pablo, Deacon Pablo, waited. And that's such a common thing. You know, and still some of the old guard will say, wait until your children are grown and moved on before you commit yourself to this. And, and I don't know if that's really the right answer completely. Because I believe in God's call. If God's truly calling the man, you know, and you're living proof that it will work. Mm-hmm. And, and the beauty of the affirmations that as we've started recruiting younger, I mean, we've had six babies in these three cohorts that are in formation right now that were born and participate. And I think the beauty that came out of these three women is that there is community that has grown. You got deacon uncles all over the place now mm-hmm. that that care that understand community, that understand the depth of the love, and that they will watch out for your dad so that they can be dad for you. Despite all the expectations that that get kind of placed upon you, the pressures that you put on yourself that, you know, really become another layer of your identity, mm-hmm. that I, I think, Doris, you said it beautifully, mm-hmm. you got to be yourself. Or mm-hmm. Catherine, mm-hmm. I am Catherine! Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Hear me roar! Yes! I mean, we're all part. We're yes. all part. Mm-hmm. Husbands, mm-hmm. wives, children, mm-hmm. the extended family mm-hmm. are part of the order of deacons. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies, I want to thank you uh, each for joining us in the den today um, for this very important episode. It may be don't don't tell anyone this. It may have been my favorite episode, but Aww. but don't don't tell the other people. Woo-woo. Thank you for having us. Yeah, and I really want—I really want to thank you for the support you give your dads in their ministry, um, as well as your moms who have to put up with your dads. Um, (laughs) You know, and on behalf of all deacons with sons and daughters, let me express my love and appreciation for the support you give all of us. So, thank you, and thanks for being here. Today's Deacon Den pulled back the curtain a little bit more on the private lives of a few deacons, a few very rarely seen by the majority of parishioners. Parish members most frequently encounter deacons while serving in Mass. So next time we meet, we'll focus on the deacon's liturgical role. What is the appropriate role of deacon in Mass, and why do they do what they do, and why have those particular functions been assigned to the deacon? Curious Catholic minds want to know.